Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Greg Kokel on using questions to answer Christianity's toughest questions. So I tell him I agree with you. Things had a beginning. All right, great. Here's the third question and the question that matters. What caused everything to come into existence? And it's easy because I told him you have only two options, either something or nothing. Greg Kokel, next. For many years, Greg Kokel has provided innovative strategies for communicating biblical truth to those who hold different views. In his 2009 book, Tactics, and in his new book, Street Smarts, Greg emphasizes and teaches the use of questions to really engage those he's speaking with. Greg is the founder and president of Stand to Reason. Greg, how is your new book, Street Smarts, a sequel to your book, Tactics? Yeah, sure. Uh, Tactics is uh, subtitled A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. And what I try to do is put together a way of engagement that um, was relaxed, casual, after a fashion, uh, comfortable for dialogue with other people, but also very incisive in the ability to make an impact to do what I call uh, put a stone in someone's shoe, okay? So the goal here is not to lead people to Christ. Uh, The goal here is to do some gardening, not harvesting, I guess, is the language that I use. And I developed this idea a little bit in the original tactics book. And then I think since we talked, it's come out again in a 10th anniversary uh, version where I added 35% more material. And I, I spoke more thoroughly on the concept of gardening as opposed to harvesting as an emphasis. And in Street Smarts, the newest book, I have a whole chapter and gardener versus harvester. And my conviction is that um, gardening is what is the most important thing, that the harvest pretty much takes care of itself. And a lot of folks haven't thought about this because we've received a a tradition about how to engage. Uh, I became a Christian during the Jesus movement. You saw maybe saw the movie, The Jesus Revolution. Sure. Yeah, I didn't see it because I I lived it, right? (laughs) So the long hair, the whole deal. But uh, back then, you know, you just present the simple gospel and you invite people to receive Christ and, and a lot of people responded. Nowadays, that's that's changed. That was half a century ago, you know, and the culture is radically different. And so the, it's now the street is dangerous, spiritually speaking, to go out. And so uh, what the tactics book did, the original one and the updated 10th anniversary edition, is it laid out a very precise plan, a three-step plan using questions. And I, I, I got the idea, well, it's the Socratic method, but I thought a better icon to describe <laughs> it was Lieutenant Colombo, right? From yeah. a teamy fame or infamy, as the case may be. And uh, and, and he, he came in really easy in the conversations. He's solving uh, a murder, but he, he walks in like bumbling, scratching his head. And I don't know, there's something about this thing that bothers me. You know, this kind of deal. Mm-hmm. He just, like, he's not a threat. 
right? Right. And asking questions and just gathering this information. But of course, his mind is working and he's got a plan because every time he gets some more information, he asks more questions about the information he got. And this puts in a, him in a position, first of all, to have information that he needs to know where to go next. And um, it positions him also, if he's figuring out who the murderer is, how to position his questions in a way to to kind of do a mic drop moment at the very end, right? They didn't call it mic drop back then when Columbo was uh, on TV as a regular thing. But um, in other words, you just want you want to bring people to a point where they see this is a challenge to their view or a challenge to their challenge to us that they have never thought about. Uh, there's a weakness there. And this is what we want to do. We want to get them to think. And so in gardening tradition, not harvest tradition, the goal isn't there to get them, okay, well, you want to pray to receive Christ, you know, that may not have any meaning to them at all. That's something that most people have to think a long time about if you want a real conversion as opposed to a decision. No, the goal is quite simple. Uh, the goal is just as I put it in the book, to put a stone in their shoe, okay? You just want to get them thinking about uh, this other element and then let it go. And by the way, this is something that I uh, have been pursuing a long time and teaching on the idea of gardening rather than harvesting and using the tactical game plan uh, to accomplish that, the three steps, which I'll get in more detail in a moment. But I, I do want to focus just a moment on this gardening harvesting um, contrast because I, I, one thing I realize is that I'm not a harvester. I'm a gardener. Okay. I, I have not prayed with anyone to receive Christ in over 30 years. Wait, I mean, you have an apologetics ministry, which is a, a sub, sort of a subset of evangelism. Yes. People think you're praying with people all the time to no, to come to no, Christ. You've blessed, you've led how many to Christ? And yet you're saying you haven't prayed with anyone. If in you 30 will. years. Look at, but Jesus didn't pray with hardly anybody to receive Christ. Paul didn't pray with hardly anybody. John didn't pray with hardly. There are no altar calls in the New Testament. There are no occasions where people are invited to pray to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. This is a modern phenomenon. Now, I'm not putting it down. Yeah. Um, and I've used it before, and and what and it's and it serves some, some people very well. But it doesn't serve the majority of people well. How do I know that? Because they're sitting on the bench. That's scary to them, especially in the street, so to speak, the yep. cultural environment that we find ourselves in. And this is why I want them to understand that what we see in the New Testament is gardening. Gardening, 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 gardening. Mm -hmm. A little here, a little there. A little here, a little there. Uh, I planted pa Apollos water. God caused the increase, mm -hmm. Paul says famously to the Corinthians. And, um, and of course, when we think about our own journey, as it were, to Christ, if we became a Christian, you know, uh, in, in high school, college as adults whatever yeah it didn't happen overnight and it was a process of us thinking about things that were presented to us at different times and this is why the gardening metaphor is so good jesus trades on this very heavily in john chapter 4 after his conversation with the woman at the well some sow some reap you know is what he said and and the sower and the reaper rejoice together so there's two different roles here one team but two different seasons in a person's life um and two different roles that we play in people's lives okay and i realized i was a gardener and um so i have been well, as i've been talking about street smarts now to audiences bill i've been taking polls of the audience so these are christians that come to an apologetics conference right they're believers right yeah i say how many people here and i've just been doing this the last three weeks and i've already spoken to four 
five or six audiences, pretty good sized audiences. How many people, I ask, did not become a Christian by praying the sinner's prayer with someone or coming forward for an altar call? Hmm. And the average is about three quarters of the Christians are raising their hands. They did not respond to that prayer. They became Christians, but not like that. In fact, many of them became Christians. I've talked to some of them. They just don't even know when they became Christians. They just heard the word and began believing it, and they found themselves thinking, I'm a Christian. Okay? And that's exactly the way it happened in many cases of the New Testament. Or sometimes there's a strong preachment like we see in Acts 2, and people are cut to the quick and say, what should we do? But by the time they're saying, what should we do? They're ripe for harvest. They're, they're, falling, <laughs> they're falling into the basket, right? The fruit is. And the same thing happened to me when my brother, almost 50 years ago, uh, after many months, really, of talking to me on and off about this, began talking to me again about it one evening. And I said, Mark, I already want to become a Christian. You don't have to tell me anything more. So I harvested myself, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> now, um, just to just to close the loop on the on the the gardening thing, because what I'm going to talk about with the street smarts is a very effective gardening tool, which builds on the tactical game plan. Which, by the way, I do cover in street smarts. You don't have to have red tactics. If you do, it's better. But it, it, uh, Street Smarts is a standalone piece. It can help you get into the game plan. But just to close the loop here, um, I'm sure, Bill, you've heard, and maybe many of your listeners, of a guy named Jay Warner Wallace. Sure. His name sounds familiar. Sure. Yeah. Cold Case Christianity, mm-hmm. Cold Case Cop, who is an atheist, started applying the techniques and skills that he had, which were exceptional. Yep. He never lost a case that went to trial. He always caught the bad guy, you know. But uh, he applied it to the testimony of the Gospels and came to the conclusion that this was reliable testimony. Jesus rose from the dead. He became a Christian. Then he became a Christian apologist, then a writer, and then a best-selling writer. He's the best guy I've ever seen speak on Christian defenses. He is riveting. He's magnificent. Um, J. Warner Wallace. What people don't know about Jim Wallace, though, is Jim was in my garden when he was an atheist. He was listening listening to your program. Yes, he was listening to our program, going to our website. He was benefiting from what the gardening I was doing in his life. And some people might know um, Abdu Murray, a Muslim uh, attorney in Detroit, Mm -hmm. who uh, became a Christian and then started writing books and, you know, has got his own organization. Abdu was in my garden when he was a Muslim. You know, John Noyce, who's on our team, was an atheist in my garden. Now he's a speaker for Stand to Reason. And he doesn't even know when he became a Christian. He used to be an atheist. Now he's a Christian. That's it. That's what he knows. Okay. That's what matters, right? Yeah. He doesn't really, but what happened is somebody went into my garden, harvested my crop. Hmm. Get out of my garden, right? No, that's not my attitude. The one who sows and the one who reaps rejoice together. Now, the reason I say this is not to wave my personal flag. But it's to put the comment I made earlier into perspective. And that and that comment was that I haven't prayed with anyone to receive Christ in 30 years. That's not relevant to kingdom expansion, whether Kokel prayed with anybody to receive Christ in 30 years. What's relevant is the contribution I made in the way I'm capable of making it through gardening. And I've used the tactics, the street smarts approach in order to accomplish that. And that's what any Christian can do as well. And so Street Smarts relates to, finally coming around to answer your question, to the tactical game plan in that the three steps of the tactical game plan is first you're gathering information, 
second step in, in what do you mean by that some kind of question like that then you're 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 wanting to know the reasons why a person believes what he just told you he believes so you're going to reverse the burden of proof and then you're going to use questions to make a point and i of course i developed the concept in the tactics book but street smarts is the third step on steroids because now i i deal with I have more than a, close to a dozen different issues. I got atheism. I got the problem of evil. I got different problems with the Bible, like genocide, alleged genocide, and uh, and slavery. I have the Bible and science. I have two uh, chapters on abortion. Uh, I've got chapters on, on, on Jesus, the Son of God, chapter on Jesus, the only way of salvation, and chapter on gender and sex and marriage. All of those things, how do you navigate that? Okay, I teach you how, do you, how to navigate effectively on those particular issues by using questions and well, how do you make your point by using questions it's actually not that hard if you have a little tutoring and this is what i'm doing in street smarts a adding the tutoring we can talk about how that's structured but how do you approach all of these different problems these challenges in a way that's effective and keeps the christian safe and that's one of the things I'm concerned with, too. Well, Greg, I wanted to ask you, uh, just coming back to the, the gardening harvesting idea, and you, you said something right at the top that you're, well, if you're aiming at anything, you're aiming at real conversions, not necessarily decisions. Decisions, right. D differentiating between those two and the real conversion, uh, right. it, it happened at any time. But can you help us to understand that? And then you say it's it's God's work. It's not ours. That's correct. Uh, I uh, I heard Ray Comfort say once, and Ray Comfort's a magnificent street preacher, and he's got a big enterprise. A lot of people know about it. He uses tracks a lot and very effectively and makes films. He's a great guy, and he's done really good work, and we've done work together. But uh, he told me once that uh, he was invited to a church, and they asked, can you get us some decisions? You know? Oh, he said, oh, I can get decisions. Decisions are easy. What I want is conversions. Mm. And so he's making a distinction between the kind of response that people give sometimes when they're almost manipulated in a certain way, you know, to to come forward in a way, music's on, every eye closed, you know, every head bowed and all that, you know, and um, and Ray's point was, well, I want the real thing. I don't want a false conversion. I want the real thing. And this is what I'm after, too. And the fact is, those things don't happen in a snap. All right. With, with very few exceptions, uh, people can just survey their own lives. How long did it take you when you began considering the claims of Christ to the point that you decided to follow Jesus as uh, the, the Lord of heaven? And, and I, I say follow Jesus because I'm just trying to avoid this receive Jesus as Savior and Lord mm -hmm. language because it's tired. People you know they, that sounds like religious noise to them i when i told a, a group last uh, earlier this year i said here's what you do this is my little altar call uh, you know you're guilty that's why you feel guilty because you are guilty i said and here's what you need to do you need to beat your breast bend your knee and say lord have mercy on me a sinner lord have mercy that comes right from Jesus' parable there about the 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 tax gatherer, right? Mm -hmm. And then get up and follow Jesus and never stop. So there's my elder call, right? And uh, so so I get to the gospel, but I know that unless there's a lot of gardening done first, people will not be converted. They might be manipulated into a decision, but they won't be converted. And and I want them to take their time. I'm not going to push them towards the towards the altar. 
God can take care of that. So here's the way I characterize it, Bill. 100% me and 100% God, meaning that's almost like the 100% man, 100% God, the Chalcedonian <laughs> formula, right? You yeah. know, for Jesus, the deity of Christ and the heapful humanity. And what I mean here, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing from Chalcedon here. What I mean is that I'm 100% responsible for my side of the equation. And that is to communicate graciously, clearly, truthfully, and, and as effectively as I can. All right. Once I do that, I'm done. It's over with. What does God do? He's 100% responsible for his side, and that is taking it from there, making the difference, changing the person, bringing them to Christ. And this is why it happens so often without the immediate agency of another witnesser, right? Mm-hmm. It can just happen. I've just talked to somebody a couple a month or so ago in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and she said, I was just sitting in my car. And finally, I realized this is it. Now, she had been 13 generations LDS, hmm. 13 generations, and it took her a number of years to come to this point where she's sitting in a car and other people gardening in her life, and she bowed her head and surrendered. Now, I, I don't even know what that surrender looked like. Please come into my life and forgive me. I don't know if she, what she said, but she was surrendering to Christ and certainly understood enough in all that gardening to know what this entailed and that her salvation was secure because what Jesus did for her, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of the Book of Mormon. Well, my guest is Mr. Greg Kokel. He is founder and president of Stand to Reason, and we're talking about his new book, Street Smarts, using questions to answer Christianity's toughest toughest challenges. And Greg, you said questions help to keep a person safe. And of course, we think of street smarts. Street smarts keep you safe on the street. But can you help us mm-hmm. to understand how questions keep you safe? And then I hope you don't mind a compound question. What are those? those you mentioned those three steps. Can you kind of give us an illustration of what they look like? We have a perfect example right here. We're having a conversation. Who's doing all the work here, Bill? I am. You are. <laughs> doing all the talking. But the conversation, you're relaxed, right? The conversation is moving in the direction that you determine because you are the one asking the questions. So the person asking the questions is in the driver's seat of the conversation. Of course, Christians know this, too, because it's experienced in the reverse to them. Non-Christians pelting them with questions, and they're out of control. The other guy's in the driver's seat, okay? So we're going to use that advantage of the questions. We're not going to do it the way the non-Christian does it, but we are going to use that advantage. Also, questions are, um, I mean, to keep you safe, because when you're asking questions, you're not making statements. If you make statements, you have something to answer for. If you're just asking questions, well, you're not making any claims, so you don't have any burden of proof, right? And so there's nothing you have to defend at this point. And so um, th- that it makes it very easy there. Plus, they're conversational. So in the, I have a bunch of conversations in the book pertaining to particular topics, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Easy, okay? But the questions that we're asking are guiding the conversation in that particular step of the game plan. And so, um, I mean, there's oh, if you ever get in a tough spot, ask a question. You know, it gives you some breathing room, buys you some time. So lots of uh, benefits to asking questions, okay? Now, the second thing you asked about is sketching out the basic yeah. game plan. Three steps. First thing you want to do in any conversation is you don't think about leading somebody to Christ. You don't think about what's coming down the pike. You don't worry about anything else. All you want to do is gather information. That's all. You just want some intel. If they're challenging you about a particular aspect of Christianity, let them ask them more about the challenge. Spell it out. 
you know um so uh, for example somebody say uh, well what about the problem of evil i say what about it okay let me pause for a moment yeah. the first use is to gather information but there's a model question there the model question is what do you mean by that and that's the way of asking for more mm -hmm. information but there's lots of variations okay and here's one of them what about the problem of evil what about it well that's a problem for you isn't it what's the problem i want them to spell it out mm -hmm. okay and then i have a particular uh, uh, a set of questions i and I'll, I'll share with in a few moments which represent the third step but when somebody makes a statement about their own view or, or offers a challenge you just want to get more clarification here but there's a second thing you want to have clarification on, and this is the second step. First step shows you what they believe if they're offering an alternate viewpoint, say atheism, for example. Now you want to know why they believe what they believe. Now, of course, this is the question they ask us, right? <laughs> yeah. So why can't turnabout's fair play here? If they make the claim, they bear the burden. All right, so I'm just going to ask them now, how did you come to that conclusion? Or some variation. Oh, the Bible's been changed. Really? How do you mean that? To explain that to me. What is well, translation after translation, blah blah blah. Okay. Now I understand your complaint. Why is it you think it actually happened that way? Now I know a lot of people don't know anything about that when they say that. They've just heard other people say it and so they repeat it. Okay, but they have never studied it themselves. Okay. And lots of times when you ask, well, tell me what you mean, or you ask why do you believe that? Give me the reasons. You're going to get dead air. I call it the Simon and Garfunkel moment, you know, that song that they did in 1966, Sounds of Silence, right? Yep. Okay. So, you know, they. it's amazing that they, are, they you ask them the question, they don't know how to answer for their own view. Okay. So that's the first two steps. Very simple, shallow end of the pool, no threat at all. Now, the next steps, though, the third step is, here's the way I like to put it, it's just, it's, the first step is gathering information. The second step is reversing the burden of proof, asking them for reasons for their view. The third step is using questions to make a point. Oh, now you're on the offensive, you know, in a sense. You're going to go after a weakness or a flaw or in the challenge or in their view. Okay, fine. But there's a speed bump here. And this is what the, the book, the, all of street, street Arts is really dedicated Two, overcoming these this speed bump, or there's actually three of them. First of all, if you're going to show a weakness in a view, you've got to know what the weakness is, <laughs> right? Yes. You, you got to know the flaw. So in every single chapter, half of the chapter, I'm talking about, here are the problems with atheism. Here's the problem with the pro-choice view. Here's the problem with the gender view or the, the same-sex marriage thing. Or here are the problems with the, the complaint about Jesus is only the Son of God and not God himself, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So lots of different thing, details there. And uh, now you got to know the problem. That's the first speed bump. But if you're going to expose a problem, usually you don't get there in one step. Usually there's like three or four steps you use to get there, like A, B, C, therefore D. And if you try to do that with somebody in opposition to you, they're going to keep interrupting at every stage, trying to take an exception. They don't want to give any ground. And so now you don't have a conversation. You have an argument yeah. and you're not able to get, you can't lay your, your point out. Okay. This is why, and here's the third part of the speed bump for each of those steps, you need to have a question that you use to gather information from the other person to make the steps. Okay. So, uh, for example, um, somebody 
I was challenged once. Give a good at a university, University of uh, Toronto. Okay, uh, give me some good reason. This is an atheist. Give me a good reason why God exists. Okay, uh, you might have to ask you a few questions. No, go ahead. Do you think that things exist? I mean, it's a pretty simple question. But do you think that? And he said, "Well, yeah, this microphone exists. <laughs> okay, yeah. I can work with that. Um, I agree, things exist. Secondly, do you think that the things that exist always existed? No." In other words, there was a beginning to the universe. All the material things of the world, those that came into existence at a point in time, say the Big Bang. Now, a lot of Christians don't like the Big Bang. Uh, don't worry about that right now, because here's the key. Christians think the world had a beginning. Mm -hmm. So does everybody else. It doesn't matter if they call it the Big Bang. They thought the world had a beginning. That's what we're working on here. So I tell them, I agree with you. Things had a beginning. All right, great. Here's the... Third question, and the question that matters, what caused everything to come into existence? And it's easy because I told them you have only two options, either something or nothing. Either something or nothing. Either something outside of the universe is responsible for the universe, and that would have to be something pretty powerful and pretty smart and personal to kind of start the action, make the decision to make the universe, or... There was no cause to the universe. It just popped into existence out of nothing for no reason, right? Now, that's the only two alternatives. There's no third alternative, okay? So what say you? Now, I'm asking the atheist. Now, here's why he's in a bind. First of all, he helped me put the pieces on the table. He's not going to take all those pieces off the table. He put them there himself because I asked the question. That's the street smarts approach. Mm. But now he's at an impasse. Now he's facing the real deal, and he can only say something outside of the material universe caused the material universe, which he doesn't want to say. But the only other alternative is ludicrous. By the, the universe just popped into existence out of nothing? Really? Where do we see that happening? You know, all around us, things popping into existence out of nothing. Every Our uniform experience is that effects have causes that are adequate to the effects. And so it's appropriate to ask then what caused the universe to come into existence. Now, what's really interesting at this point, now that's my stone in the shoe. Mm -hmm. There you go. And notice how I'm, I'm addressing the issues, I'm asking questions, and I leave the last question with them. It's interesting what the, what the um, atheist said at the University of Toronto. He said, well, I want to stick with a scientific answer. That's what he said. Okay, because I had given a religious answer. That's the way he would characterize it. And I said to him, but you haven't given me a scientific answer. There is no scientific answer because science has to have something to work with. And what we're asking is where all the stuff came from that science gets to work with to begin with. We know that it came into existence. We both agree. Okay, what's the odds-on favorite? What's the most reasonable option? Now we can just think about that. And by the way, another little insight in this conversation. If somebody says it just popped into existence out of nothing, you say, oh, in other words, a miracle happened. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's not a miracle? What would you call it if you don't call that a miracle? Okay, so the point here is, both sides in the discussion have to appeal to a miracle. 
ours is an appeal to a miracle by someone who can work miracles. <laughs> Their appeal is worse than magic, right? It's like, you know, in magic, you have a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat, but now you got no magician and you got no hat. <laughs> <laughs> You just got the rabbit. What am I trying to do? I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I'm not trying to, you know, draw blood. It's not a gladiator moment. I'm trying to get them thinking in a sound way about the problem they're facing. And I'm trying to help them to see, hey, um, the smart money's on God here on this particular question. And the way I kind of map that out with the questions, knowing where I was going, that's street smarts. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Greg Kokel, founder and president of Stand to Reason and author of Street Smarts. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Scott McAlpine on how the gospel equips Christians and churches to face the future with confidence. But the Christian can know because of the gospel and because of what Jesus has done, that we are actually future-proof. It doesn't mean to say we don't have to go through the things we're going through, but God's people, the church, have got a framework that can give them a confidence moving forward. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.